So week four of our sermon series, The Gospel BC, today we're going to speak about a person called Naaman. He is in the Old Testament. He's in 2 Kings chapter 5. So if you have your Bibles, turn to the Old Testament and go back to 2 Kings chapter 5. 2 Kings chapter 5. This is a story um, that you may have heard about or read about in your Bible reading. Naaman's leprosy was healed. The song that uh, Leslie just sang, the ending of the last song, talked about leprosy and here we're going to read a story about leprosy in the Old Testament and how God was the healer then and it was a foreshadow of the things to come when Jesus arrived on the scene this is in Old Testament how many believe part of the gospel is Jesus is a healer Amen. He went about healing all of those who were afflicted and diseased. So starting verse 1, it says, Now Naaman, commander of the army of the king of Syria, was a great man, an honorable man in the eyes of his master, because by him the Lord had given victory to Syria. He was also a mighty man of valor, but a leper. Everybody say, but a leper. You can have a whole lot going on in the right direction and just a little bitty thing can put a butt in your life and here it is. Verse 2, and the Syrians had gone out on raids and had brought back captive a young girl from the land of Israel. She waited on Naaman's wife. Then she said to her mistress, if only my master were with the prophet who is in Samaria, for he would heal him of his leprosy. And Naaman went out and told his master, saying, Thus and thus, and the girl who is from the land of Israel. Then the king of Syria said, Go now, and I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So he departed and took with him ten talents of silver, six thousand shekels of gold, and ten changes of clothes. Then he brought the letter to the king of Israel, which said, Now be advised, when this letter comes to you, that I have sent Naaman, my servant, to you, that you may heal him of his leprosy. And it happened when the king of Israel read the letter that he tore his clothes and said, Am I God to kill and make alive? That man sends, that this man sends, me, sends a man to me to heal him of his leprosy. Therefore, please consider and see how he seeks a quarrel with me. Isn't it amazing how that you can be king and yet not in control? How that you can be an official but not able to handle certain situations? This king of Israel found himself in a position of authority but not of control. And he tore his clothes because he was mad because this other king had sent this letter to him saying, Heal my servant. 
So he's mad because he's thinking he's trying to pick a fight when all the guy wants is his servant healed. Sometimes we make mountains out of molehills. Oftentimes, I think if we would truly get back in the right standing with God and would be able to hear his voice, that we would know that God is a healer and he desires to heal those that are diseased. But here this king didn't hear the voice of God and he was thought he had already arrived. He had the position, he had the, the palace, he had the throne, he had the crown, he had all these things and this earthly goods that made him believe that he was the one doing it all. But yet on his internal, he knew inside, I can't fix leprosy. I cannot cure diseases. So as he did this and he tore his clothes, it's kind of amazing, you know, that somebody else knows what's going on, the one that hears from God. Isn't it amazing how God uses people sometimes other than those in control? So verse 8, so it was when Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel tore his clothes, that he sent the king saying, why have you torn your clothes? Please let him come over to me and he shall know that there is a prophet in Israel. Verse 9, then Ammon went with his horses and chariot and he stood in the door of Elisha's house and Elisha sent a messenger to him saying, go and wash in the Jordan seven times and your flesh shall be restored to you, and you shall be clean. Sounds simple, right? Go down to Kenny Connect, dip seven times, you're going to be healed. You're thinking, I know how many septic tanks run in that. I'm not doing that. <laughs> That's what this man was thinking. He's like, this was prior to modern-day plumbing, but I'm sure there was a lot of slop and stuff going on in the Jordan. But this same Jordan is the Jordan that Jesus would future in the future walk into and tell his elder cousin John to baptize him. If it's good enough for Jesus, it's good enough for me. So sometimes when people ask you to do something that sounds silly or sounds meaningless or sounds like, why would I do that? You might want to pay attention. Because if God is giving the word for you to do that thing, you have one option. Do it or remain the way you are. So Naaman, he, he's, hearing, he's hearing this, you know, the prophets tell him to go down to Jordan dip seven times. Verse 11, but Naaman became furious. And he went away and said, indeed, I said to myself, it's one thing when you're talking to yourself, right? We, we know what that's like. He will surely come out to me and stand and call the name of the Lord his God, and wave his hand over the place and heal the leprosy. So Naaman came seeking healing, but he wanted it his way. He had already pictured and had an image in his mind, this is how God's going to do it. How often do we find ourselves devising a plan, creating a mental pathway for God to use, and saying, I'm going to go to him, and I'm going to pray, and I'm going to, I'm going to ask God, and I'm going to talk to the preacher, and I'm going to go down and get some deacons to lay hand on me, whatever you want to do. And you got this in your mind, this is how it's going to happen. And then you get there, and they say, go wash seven times in the Jordan. That's the way I envisioned this. Do you not know that I'm a mighty man of valor? That I'm well regarded over in Syria? That I'm leading thousands of people in an army? I've got 
these coins with me. I got this gold with me. I got these ten changes of clothes with me because clothing was a valuable thing in that day and time. It showed your position. It showed your class in society. He had all this stuff, but he was a leper. You can have things and still be lacking. So here it is. He's mad because the prophet said to do it a different way. Naaman become furious. Have you ever been mad? Have you ever been mad at God? We'd all be lying, I think, if we said no. There's been things that has happened to all of us that we found ourselves in positions that we thought we would never see happen. And somehow we blame God that he allowed us to go through these things. But tough times will cause us to either be, become compassionate or calloused. can cause us to behave in a way that God sees fit and pleasing to him or we can behave in ways which put us in opposition with God look at your neighbor and say tough times are for your good now we don't like to say that as Christians you know it's all tiptoeing the tulips you get saved and you just you know, it's just a joyous time and that new experience and the weight's lifted off of us and ne nothing's ever going to go wrong again. You're just going to be a Christian. It's just going to be perfect, ain't it, Betty? And it's just nothing's going to go wrong and the devil's never going to try anymore. He's just going to give up. I, maybe you're living that dream life. I'm not. So Naaman become furious. But will our fury or our anger or our opposition to God stop his plan for our life? God's bigger than that. The Bible says, you know, that his grace is sufficient for us. Which means he's got more than we can handle. Amen? Our fury, our anger does not stop his plan. He allows us to be human in this existence, in this state that we're in today. And he causes us to still move forward. So Naaman's furious and went away. He went away. He turned around from the prophet's house. And, you know, he's like the prophet didn't even come out. The prophet sent out his servant and said, go out there and tell him to go dip. He didn't even get to see the prophet. And he had in his mind he's going to come out and wave his hand and all this is going to be done. Verse 12. Are not Abinah and I don't, I'm not going to try that far, far, I guess. The rivers of Damascus, better than all these waters of Israel. He come from Syria, a place of great victories, a place that had been winning wars, a place that had notoriety. When you said you was from Syria, it meant something on the world stage. And they had better rivers. They had cleaner rivers. They had more resources. They had all these things. And he said... Why would I go dip seven times in Jordan, the old mucky Jordan River of the Israelites, when I have these rivers at home? So he turned and went away in a rage. Verse 13, And his servant came near and spoke to him and said, My father, if the prophet had told you to do something great, would you not have done it? 
He told you to do something simple, dip seven times in the Jordan, and you're mad about it. If he had told you to do something really hard, go out and build a temple to God, go out and do this with all these resources and all this gold you've got, go do this, a hard thing, he'd have been all over it. But because it was too simple, he didn't like it. Because it was too common, he didn't want any part of it. If the prophet had told you to do something great, would you not have done it? How much more then when he says to you, wash and be clean? So he went down and dipped seven times in the Jordan. So it didn't take long for him to figure out, God's still talking to me, even though I'm mad. Even through his servant. He was a man of great notoriety, but he took with ser servants with him. And as he's there, the servant said, why, why are you getting mad about this? Just go do the thing he said. So he went down and dipped seven times in the Jordan, according to the saying of the man of God. And his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child, and he was clean. I don't know about if there's a fountain of youth or not. I've heard a lot of people looking for it. We got all these special creams that does away with our, whatever these are called, foots or crow feet or something on our face. We got all this fountain of youth stuff we want. We want to go back and see those younger days. But it says his flesh became like that of a baby. And it was clean. Verse 15, and he returned to the man of God because he had done the thing that he was supposed to do, dip seven times, become clean. He goes back to the man of God. He left mad and comes back glad. Are you with me? There you go. How was the rodeo yesterday? I bet you had fun. You didn't have a hat, though. I bet you felt left over. Won't wear it. Won't stay on long enough. So, He returned to the man of God and all his aides, and he came and stood before him and said, Indeed, now I know that there is no God in all the earth except in Israel. Now, therefore, please take a gift from your servant. My king sent me with silver and gold, changes of clothes, all this stuff, to buy my healing. And I've been healed, so it's going to be bad if I go back with all this stuff healed and I didn't have to pay anything for it. You talk about the gospel in B.C. You talk about grace in action. You talk about the perfect picture where we cannot earn what God gives. This is it. So Naaman finds himself standing back at the feet of the prophet and saying, I've got to give you something. I, I've been healed, I was restored, my, my skin is like new, I no longer have leprosy, and, and I, I don't want to go back to all this stuff. I, I'm going to give you this resources that I've come with to buy my healing. Verse 16, but he said, as the Lord lives before whom I stand, I will receive nothing. This is the prophet saying it back to him. Elisha saying back to Naaman, I'm not taking anything from you. And he urged him to take it, but he refused. God's man, the prophet, refused to take anything. Because if he would have went back into Syria, name him, and said, I can go take silver and gold and changes of clothes and resources, and I can buy healing from the God of Israel, what would have happened in Syria? 
Everybody would have been come running. Anybody within a notoriety, anybody with any resources or any money, they would have come running trying to buy something from God. Look at your neighbor and say, God's not for sale. You can't buy him, amen? He, he's bigger than your pocketbook. He's bigger than our wealth. He's bigger than our influence. He's bigger than our titles. He's bigger than all this. We cannot earn anything of him. All he asks for is for us to be obedient to what he asked us to do. And a lot of times it's too simple for us to act. A lot of times it's something like this where he says dip seven times and it don't make sense. God speaks to us and does that because he wants to prove that simplicity is the gospel. The New Testament in Corinthians says that the gospel is simple. It is very plain. God's will is to save people from their selves because he can. And you cannot buy it. It's not for sale. So Naaman said, Then if not, please let your servant be given two mule loads of earth. For your servant will no longer offer either burnt offering or sacrifice to other gods, but to the Lord. Yet in this thing, may the Lord pardon your servant when my master goes into the temple of Ramon to worship there. And he leans on my hand, and I bow in the temple of Ramon, and I bow down in the temple of Ramon, and the Lord, please pardon your servant in this thing. Then he said to him, the prophet said to him, go in peace. So he departed from him a short distance. But Gehazi, the servant of Elisha, the man of God, didn't like it. Because these resources that he saw that could be used for the purposes of God, this coinage, these silver coins, these gold, these changes of clothes, we can use this for God's purpose. He had this plan, Elijah. And as he's doing this, Gehazi, as he does this, he goes, and Elisha didn't want it because God told him not to take it. And if God tells you not to take it, what are you going to do? You better not take it. But here the, the prophet's servant goes out. And listen to this. The servant of Elisha, man of God, said, Look, my master has spared Naaman the Syrian while not receiving from his hand what he had brought. But as the Lord lives, I will run after him and take something from him. So Gehazi pursued Naaman. When Naaman saw him running after him, he got down from the chariot to meet him and said, It is all well. And he said, All is well. My master has sent me, saying, Indeed, just now two young men of the sons of the prophets have come to me from the mountains of Ephraim. Please give them a talent of silver and two changes of garments. Think about this. The man of God says no because God said no. He's got a servant that's working and volunteering underneath to him. And this guy goes out and lies. Think about this. Lies for earthly possessions and says the man of God has said this when it was not true. What a scary thing. If you want to read about that in the New Testament, what it means to lie to the Holy Spirit, you'll see in the book of Acts. So Naaman said, please take two talents. And he urged him, and he bound two talents of silver and two bags with two changes of garments 
and he handed them to two of his servants, and they carried them ahead of him. When he came to the citadel, he took them from their hand and stored them away in the house. Then he let the man go, and they departed. Now when he went and stood before his master, Elisha said to him, Where did you go, Gezi? And he said to him, Your servant did not go anywhere. He lied to Naaman and said, Elisha told me to come and get these coins and get these change of clothes because two more guys came along that he didn't think about. Takes the stuff from Naaman, goes back to his house, stores it, goes back to the prophet, Elisha. Elisha, when he walks in, Elisha looks at him and says, Where'd you go? I didn't go anywhere. Does this remind you of your kids? <laughs> Parents? <laughs> Does this resemble some of those remarks that you hear from your kids when they think you've never been there or done that? <laughs> Daily. Yeah. And they think they can get by with it, and they think it's a new world, and the one you grew up in was the old fuddy-duddies and fogies that didn't know no better. The Bible says that there's nothing new under the sun. You can think you are hiding something, but to an all-seeing God, you're not going to hide anything. But his prophet, Elisha, said, where'd you go? Your servant didn't go anywhere. Verse 26. Then he said to him, did not my heart go with you when the man turned back from his chariot to meet you? What's she driving, a race car? <laughs> Travis? Monster truck. If you've ever been to a monster truck show, you know what that's about. That sounds about like that. It's pretty loud. You better wear earplugs. So think about this. The prophet's saying to his servant, did not my heart go with you? So you can use this as a parent child relationship that if you're in authority over somebody and while they're a child you're in authority over them should not your heart go with them and as it goes it will cause you to know that something is up so when he says this did not my heart go with you when you went and the chariot the man from the chariot stepped down Is it time to receive money and to receive clothing, olive groves and vineyards, sheep and oxen, male and female servants? The prophet then says this, Gehazi, the person that had been serving him, that had been under his tutelage, that had watched the prophet do all these miracles, do all this stuff and watch God move in miraculous ways, goes out and takes coins because he thinks it's worth more than his relationship with God. Verse 27, therefore the leprosy of Naaman shall be cling to you and your descendants forever. And he went out from him, his presence, leprous, as white as snow. So the servant found himself with the leprosy that had been on Naaman. And leprosy was a disease that was contagious. Because if you read back through the Old Testament that you would find that there's laws about leprosy that if a leper come into uh, the vicinity of somebody else that they have to scream, unclean, unclean. 
COVID, COVID. Whatever you want to say in today's terms, right? Polio, polio. What, what, what do you want? It's, you got, it's a disease that you have to stay clear. And it was commanded by God that you were to scream unclean. But see, Naaman wasn't from Israel. He was from Syria. And Syria had a different way of doing it. You just covered it up. Just wore more clothes. They didn't have to scream unclean because it wasn't the law of God there. It was their own personal law. And it was a contagious disease. So think about this. This clothing that Gehazi went back and said, the prophet told me to come and get it from you, and it says he gave him two sets of clothing. This was clothes that Naaman had been wearing. Sometimes the things we put on we think that is a blessing from God will actually be contagious with something that we don't want to get. Amen? And there's some people around you that you don't want their stuff. Amen? Leslie preached a sermon one time that caused about half the church to leave. I'm going to take you back a day or two. It's been decades. Yeah, this is decades ago. But it's a beautiful sermon. It really was, and it had a lot of meaning. But she literally come in and brought two bags of trash from the house and tied it to her belt loops. Trash. I'm talking about trash out of our house. Stinky, been there a week, hoping the trash man comes. Trash. I did go through it. I no, you didn't. didn't. You, 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 you make your story up later. This is mine. Well, she starts preaching, and there's people sitting out in the crowd, and she starts going down, and as she goes by people, she turns like this, and the bag will smack them in the face. It, it, I did do that. Okay, now, now the truth's coming out. It's better all the time. So as she's doing this and talking about trash, sometimes our trash will leak on others. And we've got to be careful, right? We don't want to fling our trash all over everybody else. Basically, she wasn't saying we're trashy people. It's just we got some issues going on. Amen? How many's got some issues? How many will be truthful and honest and say, I got some issues? Amen. Might do me well to get some therapy. Now, I'm not making fun. We, we need therapy. There, there is therapists that can do good things. There is psychology. There, there, these things are real. The study of all this stuff is real. And there are Christian therapists that can help you. And sometimes we need help, and that's okay. Look at your neighbor and say, it's okay. There's nothing wrong with counseling. Because in a multitude of counselors, there is wisdom. Amen. Get you some smart, godly, Bible-reading, believing people around you. But Jesus said, don't cast your pearls before the swine because they'll chomp them up. So sometimes we might be telling the wrong people about our issues we got going on. But we need to get the professionals out. Amen? The godly people. And ask them for help. And let them help you. So, she preached this sermon. It's like, man, I went home. And everybody's like, I felt like it was really good. It's like, went through the whole week. It's like, man, let's tore it down there last week. This is awesome. We're go back and have church again. Anybody ever just wait, can't wait till next week and just can't wait to come back? And, whoo, we're going to get it. This is going to be a good service. 
and we play the music, and before, I, right as soon as I go up and step to the pulpit to, to preach, some woman stands up and said, I got something to say. I was like, okay. Um, that's why we don't, that's one of the reasons we don't do testimony. <laughs> yeah, that, that ended our testimony time under our ministry. So the next pastor here can do whatever they want. I, I've been burnt, and. That's why come talk to us before. Yeah, just like come talk to us. We, we will let you say a testimony if you have a testimony. Come talk to us before. Don't just stand up. So. This woman stood up. I said, sure, go ahead. And she's about right here where Travis is. So that's about where she was sitting in the crowd of the sanctuary. Yep, that's how it went. She started saying stuff. And I was like, okay, how do you stop this once it starts? You've gave her the floor. And she's going on and telling about how she likes to drink. And just I'm just going plumb off. And it's like, and then another woman in the back, well, this started happening, they started arguing back and forth, and then a guy over here screaming at them, and it, it turned into literally during a church service, World War Three. No. Thank God. Yeah. Yeah, this is 2007, somewhere in there. Uh, they're getting their garbage out right out in front of everybody. It was wide open. And literally, I mean, there was probably at least, and when we went there to that church, there was eight people. There was eight people at that church, and it would seat 300. It was a big, wood-vaulted ceiling, beautiful, beautiful church. We'd been doing stuff, Bible school. Uh, things were going good. A lot of kids, a lot of people. You know, we, we was up running 60-some people, something like that. And literally about 20 of them with her, got up and walked out during the service. And I was just starting. This was my first time pastoring within a year of being a pastor, senior pastor, and it's a mess. Nothing Leslie said was untrue, but it caused an uproar because they didn't hear her intent. They heard through their screen. God wants us to hear, but he wants us to hear, do the right thing. Listen, when I'm talking about sin, when I'm talking about naming, having leprosy, when I'm talking about this stuff, I'm not putting any of us down. Hear me. God knows us. He knows our hearts better than we know them. And he's preaching sermons to us to tell us he wants us better. He wants us healed. And we're not trash to God. We are not trash to God. We are not trash to God. We are not trash to God. I wish somebody would look at their neighbor and say, you are not trash to God. He desires to use you in ways that you know not of. He desires to heal you of things that you don't even know you have. He desires to take your sin and make you righteous. God is the God of refuge. He's the one we can run into and be saved. Amen? So as we read this story and think through this, there, there's a couple of things that they want in the sermon series for us to talk about today. What time is it? I'm probably way over already. Okay, I'm 22. I got eight minutes. We're all good. So 
wanted us to talk about healing. How many believes in healing? How many believes in God's version of healing? Whatever he wants, he gets. Amen? His way is better than our way. So if he does it a different way than my way, if i got all these thoughts in my mind or what I've heard or what I've believed all my life, it's God's way is the right way. He is a healer. There's no doubt about that. You can look all through Scripture and see healing. It's from the front pages to the back pages that our God is a healer. I believe that wholeheartedly myself. It's in our doctrine as a church. It's what we believe. It's what we pray for. It's why we do that there's uh, claws up there that we pray over and anoint that people will take back to their family. We believe in what the Scripture teaches us about healing. But we can't get caught up into one way and one way only. It's God's way. And sometimes healing happens when you go dip in a muddy Jordan River. Amen. And it makes no sense to nobody around you. And it's never been done that way before. You can't read about it anywhere else in Scripture that this happened. This is an occasion where God said, and God does it because he was proving something to Naaman. You want it your way. I can heal you, but you're going to come on my terms. And guess what? Your money can't buy it. You can pack all that silver, all that gold, all those clothes with you you want, but it means nothing to me because I'm God and I own it all anyway. So God shows him that healing is in his hand, that he controls that. The king don't control it. The prophet don't control it. God controls the healing. So, then it talks about faith alone. How that you just got to believe when God says to do something and it makes no sense to you and there's no rhyme or reason and it, and it seems strange and it seems odd and it, you don't even understand it. When God says do it that way and he's very specific and tells you specifically what to do seven times. What, what's seven got to do with anything? Why not dip once? There could have been all kinds of arguments about this, right? Why the muddy river? Why not in the pool of Bethesda over there in the Jerusalem temple? There have been all kinds of questions you could ask, just like Naaman did. But I got better rivers back home. God said, no, it's Jordan or nothing. Amen? Amen? Just like we can come to him and say, I want to be saved. Jesus, I'd like to buy it. In the New Testament, in the book of Acts, I've seen people laying on their hands, and I've seen people speaking in tongues, and I've seen these things, and, 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 the, and that guy comes up and says, I, I want to buy that. Can I buy it? Simon, the, you know, the sorcerer. In the New Testament, in Acts, says, I want to buy that. Can I buy that off of you, Paul? Peter, no. Not for sale. God is not for sale. So, faith alone is what it takes. And faith alone is believing and receiving that God is the only hope. And if we believe the gospel in the Old Testament just like the gospel in the New Testament, it's God's way or no way. And it goes on in this, and it's got, it shares an article in this, and I, I've watched uh, a documentary a few years ago. I, I think it's on Netflix. I don't know. You could probably look it up. But it, it was on Martin Luther. And anybody know who Martin Luther is? So Reformation, he was involved in the Catholic Church, had been involved for years teaching writing, doing all this stuff, and Martin Luther, this is back in the 1500s, you know, he, he's, it's olden times, but they're pretty smart people, and 
the new pope at the time had come up with this thing called penitence in the Roman Catholic Church where because just like the Roman Catholic Church today, it's its own entity. It's its own government, basically. And their treasury was broke. So the church was broke. So the Pope was like, how can I get more money at that time? I ain't saying this about today. I'm saying this back then. How can we get more money? Well, we can start charging people to pray for their lost loved ones that are in purgatory that they can pay us for a prayer. And for a certain amount, we can buy them out of purgatory. This is the church, the church of the world at that time, the Roman church, saying you can pay us and get your lost loved one out of purgatory to a better place. It's for sale. How scary is it when the church says God is for sale? We need to be careful because we can blame other people and point fingers at others and ourselves in the safe self-righteous way have some form of that in our own way so Martin Luther this guy that if his local one there in Germany comes through and he, he's going to preach it at the church that week and Martin Luther's all tore up about it he's like huh, that's not the Bible I'm reading it's don't align with scripture this don't align with the history of the church this don't align with doctrine of the scripture and he takes a paper the 95 thesis and he nails it on the door of the church that day so imagine walking up to church and there, there's a piece of paper out here on the door with 95 things listed on it that the guy's getting ready to preach and how he's wrong. Pretty bold because you didn't take on the Roman church then because it was the church. It was the government. It was the entity. And the Pope had more power and more control even than the leaders in the governments. So when he nailed that 95 thesis up on the door, he become a wanted man. But he nailed it up anyway. So a lot of our Reformed theology today and the Protestant Reformation and all this stuff that we know and through history looking backwards now, hindsight's 2020, Martin Luther nailed that to the door to say, God is not for sale. And if there's anything that we walk away from this place today knowing, I want us to know this without a doubt, God is not for sale. He cannot be bought. His way that seems even strange sometimes is still the right way. And I, it's scary because I, I've seen it firsthand and it's, it's easy to get caught up in it when you're struggling and you're a mess. You'll try anything. And I, I believe in anointing with oil. The scripture teaches it. It tells us to if the sick are among us, let them call for the elders of the church and let them lay hands on them and pray the prayer of faith and it'll save the sick. I believe in that because Scripture says it. But there's people that have said, you know, and I, I, I remember a TV preacher, and I'm not bashing all TV preachers, don't take it to say this, but I remember a TV preacher saying that there's a certain oil that he had from Jerusalem that'll heal you faster than the oil out of your cabinet. Everybody say hogwash. <laughs> God's not for sale. Because I've watched my mom go in there and get Crisco because she didn't have no more uh, vegetable oil or any other kind of oil. 
she put everything in the world on us, Travis. I, I've been doused with all of it. Look, look at her back there laughing right now. It's probably some of the stuff how I boiled your cookies in this morning. You know, if you grow up in Bonnie's house, you want to get a dose of that. Wake up, be dead asleep, and wake up her over top of you. Chris go wiping all over your face and... I'm telling you right now, when she was praying, she was believing. Amen. Amen. When she come in there and said, my baby's sick, I don't care what it takes, and it don't take special oil from Jerusalem. It takes a God from heaven to come and heal my baby. And she laid hands on us, and we were healed. Why? Because she believed. And it's God's way. It's not man's way. And I'm glad I grew up like that because I can't be bought now. You can't buy me and make me believe some of this hogwash garbage that's going around and saying it's got to be certain ways, certain things. Certain. No, it's got to be Scripture. Amen. And Scripture teaches God's the healer. And I believe it. And I trust it. And I know it's true. I've experienced it. And Mom will tell you all the time, she can tell stories about when I was in the cistern and, and in the hospital five days and they finally let me come home. My sugar was a mess, and I wouldn't eat, and I was messed up. Got home, wouldn't eat. She called Amy's uncle. Mr. Mefford come up, and they laid hands on me. And within an hour, I was up eating chicken noodle soup. And it wasn't just because of them. But it was because of who God used and who Mom t told Mom to call, and I believe in it. I've experienced it. I'm alive today because of a belief system that God can heal. Can we leave this place today knowing God is a healer? I trust Him and Him alone. If you would just bow your head and close your eyes. <laughs> Father, we come to you today as a group, as a body, as a church. And God, we come today asking for forgiveness because sometimes we are like Naaman. And we want you to do certain things and we want you to do them our way. And we're sitting here realizing that God, sometimes you tell us to do simple things that seem to be too good to be true. And we don't believe it because it sounds too simple. But God, we know you use the simple things of the world to profound the wise. The wise cannot understand how you work, how you move, how you heal, how you save. God, help every person in this room today to trust you more, to lean on you more, to listen to your voice closer than they ever have before. And God, as you speak, as you ask them these things to do, even if they walk away angry because they didn't get it their way, God, that you would still chase them and, and that you would still go after and that you would use others to speak to them to say, God wants to do it this way. And God, give us faith 
that Naaman had when he went down in the muddy water. And Lord, as he dipped down the first time, I'm sure he come up feeling like a fool. And God, he went down the second time and he come up and he felt like this is crazy. And he went down the third time and he come up and he looked around and others were staring at him and he's thinking, why am I doing this? And he goes down a fourth time and a fifth time and a sixth time and I can imagine the worry and the dread and the fear of what if this don't work? What if I'm going to look foolish in front of my friends? But God, when he went down in the water the seventh time and when he come up and his flesh became like that of a baby, brand new. God, that his heart was shaped and changed in an instant because he went back and said, there is no other God than the God of Israel. God, help us to have that seven times kind of faith that we would dip and dip and dip ourselves into you. God, that you would cleanse us from all unrighteousness, that you would go before us, that you would be there. God, that we would continue to lean in and try and try and try again, that we wouldn't give up or walk away sorrowful, but God, we would continue in your grace. We would believe for the greatest healing that we could ever have. And that is the, the healing of our heart from sin. That separates ourselves from you. And God, if there's people in this room today that does not know you as the Lord or Savior, God, I pray today that your Holy Spirit is doing work in their heart right now and telling them, believe trust have faith and Jesus we would give you our lives not in part but in whole help everybody here to do just that everybody say this with me say Jesus I give you my life it is yours do with it as you wish in Jesus name Amen. Amen. Father, I thank you for your healing mercy. God, I thank you for the 39 stripes that Jesus took upon his back that you said is for the healing of the nations. And God, for all those that are sick and afflicted among us, God, we pray right now, God, that your healing would be in their bodies. Lord, their loved ones, those that are home today that couldn't make it out. Lord, those that are facing sickness and, and health issues. God, we pray right now that your healing would touch the infirmities of your people. Give us faith to believe for them if they don't believe their self. Just as the rich centurion come to you and asked you, Jesus, on that street that day, you don't have to go touch my servant. Just speak the word and it shall be done today. Send healing in Jesus' name across the airwaves right now, through YouTube, right now, through Facebook, right now. God, we speak healing to those that are sick. We believe. We trust you. 
we give it all to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.